the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, everybody. This is Nick Robinson from Aberdeen, and you're listening to the Emerging Markets Equity Podcast, a show that explores the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. We ask our expert guests for big questions from key individuals to evolving trends, all with the goal to identify a profit from opportunities in the region. So it's not been the easiest time to be an EM investor. If we look at how the broad MSCI EM index has performed since the beginning of the pandemic, it's basically flat over those four years. So it's hardly the most exciting performance, despite some pretty big swings along the way. However, there is one part of the emerging investment world that's done quite well, and I think it's still largely overlooked by investors. That is emerging market smaller companies. So looking at the EM small cap benchmark, we've seen a return of some 40% in those same four years, well ahead of their large EM peers and pretty much in line with the MSCI World Index, which benefits from all the exposure to the US and tech, which certainly don't feel like overlooked parts of the market. So today we're going to go down the size scale and talk about investing in smaller companies in emerging markets. To provide the expertise, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Asamu Yamagata. Asamu has been on our EM team based in London for 16 years, and he's been running our small cap funds for the last five years. So he has a huge wealth of experience in this asset class. Asamu, thanks for joining today. I think the last time you were on was a couple of years ago when you were talking Latin American tech. So it's great to have you on and talking about something different today. No, pleasure to be here. Thank you. That's great. Well, why don't we kick off with um, perhaps, you know, I talked about the asset class being a bit overlooked. So what do you think the biggest misconception is that investors have about the uh, small cap asset class? Yeah, I mean, I think people think that um, EM small caps is, you know, the the riskiest segment of the riskiest region of the riskiest asset class. And, you know, to invest, you have to be a kind of a real emerging market bull um, uh, to do that. But, you know, the truth is actually the the opposite. I mean, historically, um, the standard deviation or volatility or, I guess, you know, um, risk for the asset class has been lower um, than the majority of you know, regional small caps and, and even the EM large cap space. And then from an absolute return perspective, it's delivered some of the strongest returns over the last few years. Um, and that's um, you know, even within the, uh, the, the global peers. So from a risk adjusted basis, um, it's actually been a very, very strong performer. So I think that's the biggest misconception that people think you're taking excessive risk um, when actually you, you're really not um, in the small cap space. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly how we see our clients behave in that typically they'll go to a large cap product first and then as bullishness increases, they'll you know may, may go into the small cap universe or even the frontier universe, uh, although that was some time ago now. I mean, you mentioned the, um, yeah, the strong returns and yeah, this big divergence that I highlighted in the intro between larger companies and smaller companies. Yeah, what's really been behind that in in your view? Yeah, I think there are two things, uh, two main factors, and and I'll sort of go through it in in the order of importance. I mean, the the first is that smaller companies um, have, you know, in general, outperformed their large cap peers in their respective local markets. Uh, And why is that? 
Um, local flows drive small gaps, um, and we've seen a huge democratization of access to equity markets, which has benefited the smaller end of the market, uh, where the, you know, the inefficiencies uh, are higher. Um, on top of that, we've seen a, a pickup in you know, global um, capex spending, whether it's infrastructure, green energy, and just you know outright technology. And small companies tend to actually have a large exposure to the themes um, compared to um, you know the large cap peers, where indexes um, tend to be more dominated by by consumption and, and financials. Um, second is actually the makeup of the countries themselves. So the biggest listed companies in emerging markets are largely in China. Uh, and when you include the A shares, you end up commanding a, a large portion of that index. Um, in the small cap world, free float liquidity is a lot more diverse. Um, and China actually ends up being quite a small component of the market. It's around 8% today against, I think it's about 27%. Um, in, in the large cap space, um, you know, actually the biggest market for, for us in the small cap space is, is India, um, which has been very strong and now constitute around a quarter um, of, of the index and obviously India has done better. Um, so yeah, I would say those two are the, the, the biggest reasons for the, for the outperformance. I'm, I'm pleased that you mentioned um, China and India. I mean, I feel like that is yeah, one of the key kind of issues at the moment for portfolio constructors in emerging markets. And I think just on the last podcast we had, we had James Tom on from our Singapore office to talk in, in depth about India and, you know, I guess the struggle that we have in terms of, you know, China being a large part of the benchmark with a quite a challenging outlook. And then conversely, India, also a large part of a benchmark, but with a you know, great outlook, but valuations to match. I mean, how have you fallen on that issue in terms of how you're running the small cap funds, yeah, no, the India versus China issue? It's, it's a really good question and, and, and one that we all certainly grapple with. I mean, as a, as a long-term investor, uh, I'm still very much more confident in the growth of Indian companies and, and the stocks that we own are sort of exceeding expectations in, in a vibrant market. Um, in China, we continue to see stocks under-delivering on what had been very lofty expectations in the past. Um, so I do see that if there's any rotation from, say, expensive India to cheap China, I think it would be more opportunistic. Um, and, you know, it's not something that we discount doing, but I suspect, you know, it's be more incremental um, than a wholesale change in view as, you know, we do prefer investors for the longer term and I think India is the place to be. So, so thanks for that. Why don't you tell us about the, the small cap investing landscape and, you know, what are some of the most exciting opportunities and, and perhaps how does that differ from large cap? So the, the key drivers are domestic growth um, and obviously nowhere is currently more attractive than, than India. Then it's you know, technological innovation, uh, green transition, um, and supply chain diversification. Um, and I'll probably have that in that order. Uh, and most of our stocks have exposure to these you know, sort of future megatrends. Um, you know, take an example, um, our best stock performer last year was an IC chip design house called Old Chip. Um, they design um, what's called ASICs, or um, you know, the full term is application specific 
integrated circuits. Um, and you know, the company's main driver is helping company achieve their AI or highly complex computing goals. And it accounts for most or that's around 75% of their revenue. Um, you know, and artificial intelligence requires horizontal processing, which is what GPU processors like Nvidia do very well. The alternative approach, which is more efficient, is to have lots of little chips with specific tasks working together to achieve the same goal. Now, without going into too much detail, our chip is key designer for, the, for Amazon's um, artificial intelligence inference chips, um, as well as other uh, blue chip clients. Um, in the large cap space, uh, and, and this, I guess this is where some of the difference is, the common approach to that theme is to own TSMC. Uh, which is, you know, fantastic, great company. Uh, and they might have it at sort of between 5 to 10%. And you can kind of tick off a large part of the chip innovation um, by, by having that um, single exposure. But for TSMC, you know, artificial intelligence or high-performance computing exposure, let's say mid-teens of revenue. Um, so, you know, when the market is appreciating the future growth drivers, um, you know, our chip share price um, sort of tripled last year, uh, and that compared to TSMC around 30%. And that's where the, the you know the risks and, and obviously you know, if you do it well, the the, the returns are uh, in the small cap space. It's a it's a more adventurous approach, I'll say. But the but yeah, the rewards are there if you explore down the the market cap spectrum. Okay, that's interesting. So you could really focus in on a, a particular theme um, by investing in these companies which are much more levered to that theme. Um, so if you find a, you know, a great company, and this is a bit of a basic question, but if you find a great company and it's hugely successful and the share price goes up and it becomes a larger company, you know, can you still own it if it leaves the small cap universe? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we like to let winners run. Um, you know, we won't buy, buy any more. Um, but it, it does buy us some time to, you know, hopefully find the next idea that can do the same and graduate from, you know, small cap to large cap. Great. And when we think about some of the most exciting things in EM, like what you mentioned, so nearshoring, AI, green commodities, I mean, do, can you find enough companies that benefit from those themes in the small cap universe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there is a potential old chip. Um, in every thematic that you mentioned in the small cap space, um, you know, there's a wealth of opportunities out there. And as mentioned, the growth of those themes will be a, a really important tailwind for the asset class. Um, you know, we just have to make sure that you know, we have a, a well-built ship of great companies, you know, sort of put ourselves up and, and let them grow. So, so trying to continue on on your, your sailing analogy, as a skipper, how do you select your crew? So... I suppose, what in your view makes a great company and what kind of factors are you looking for in terms of selecting companies for the fund? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you want people you can trust, right? So fraud, nepotism, poor ethics, you know, these are the biggest risks for, for smaller companies. And it really boils down to ESG and, you know, but I would put EG as the, the biggest um, biggest risk. Um, and, you know, identifying the risk takes experience and market knowledge. Uh, fortunately, we have a really experienced investment team located uh, near the companies that we invest in. So, you know, there's a very stringent quality test um, that all our companies have to go through. 
Um, then ultimately, it's about finding compounders, um, companies where you can see them deliver earnings better um, over the longer term than what market typically project, where you know their focus tends to be more short term. And that's what really what you know quality companies do. Um, you know, consistently beat expectations over cycles and and expand returns in their own domain. And do you stray much into frontier markets when you're investing, or or even some of the more racy emerging markets like Argentina and and Turkey and the like? Uh-huh. Uh, no, um, you know, I think we learned our lessons from the past. Um, you know, I think when you spend more time talking about the macro than than the stock specifics, you're taking the wrong kind of risk, and and that's not really our forte. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Countries like Turkey and the stock market performance there sometimes completely mystifies me. And it's you have these years where the macro looks terrible, but the stocks and the stock market does really well because investors are trying to hedge inflation by putting their money into the stock market because things have got so bad in the banks for instance so it's, it's often things you really couldn't even couldn't predict um yeah i mean one thing you can guarantee is volatility right? yeah. yes absolutely and those you know markets like argentina always seem to stay volatile despite you know, changes in government that that may be good um yeah you've been uh as, as I mentioned in the intro, you've been doing this for a, for a long time. And what what are some of the key lessons you you take away from investing in the in the smaller companies? Yeah, I mean, investing companies, uh, and, you know, not markets. Um, and actually, that sometimes means that um, we have to be careful because if you just buy companies we like, we might be unintentionally buying into um, you know a, a market or a or a macro trend. And when the tides turn, and you know inevitably they always will, you might find that stocks you bought individually um, end up being a lot more correlated than you think. Um, and that's the most important thing I've learned, you know, buy fewer and better companies, but make sure they are, you know, um, diversified. So diversified within the portfolio context rather than the companies themselves having different diverse revenue streams. Yeah. So, you know, don't buy a whole bunch of consumer staple companies because you like them. Um, you know, make there are quality companies in every com- uh, country and and in every sector uh, except the super racy ones. Um, you know, and I think our job is to to identify the the best in each one. And you've also invested in and and analysed lots of large cap companies. Is there is there much difference between the analysis that's required on large cap versus small cap and and thinking a little bit about the economic cycle, are there particular points where earnings, owning small caps tends to be more attractive as an investment opportunity? Um, no, not really. I mean, what I would probably say is that large cap companies tend to have an army of analysts. So um, there's probably less inefficiencies um, in terms of information. Um, and again, they're probably more mature. So it tends to be less about maybe taking market share or driving new avenues of growth, um, but maybe more about calling a, a bigger economic cycle. That is probably more about the macro or, or the secular trend. Um, small cap companies are affected by, by that too, of course, but I would say they're micro in terms of things like market share and product penetration is more important. 
Uh, and that's probably a risky proposition, but correctly identifying the large caps of tomorrow, I think has the, has the biggest alpha potential. Uh, you just have to be quite diligent and, and do the work yourself. Um, and you know, this is all relative, um, of course. Um, you know, emerging markets by their, their nature still hold lots of potential and, and there are really some, some amazing large caps out there. Too. Yeah, yeah, there certainly are. I mean, I, I suppose that comes back to your earlier example of TSMC versus Allchip and how TSMC is much more geared into the global capex or semi, well, TSMC is much more geared into the global semiconductor cycle, whereas Allchip is you know, focused in on, on AI. Um, yeah, maybe um, you know, thinking about some of the other investments you've made within the strategy. Yeah, what's been your your, your best investment and in, in, on cruelly, what's been your worst investment? <laughs> oh God, um, I mean, our best investment probably has been um, ASM International, um, and and I feel like we've owned that since as long as I've been. You know, involved as a as a newbie um, uh, at the company, so it must be decades now. You know, and initially, um, you know, we bought it as a holding company um, and to to take advantage of the discount for the subsidiary ASM Pacific, and that, and that's a well known company that helps their back end processes for making semiconductor chips. Um, what we weren't particularly aware at the time um, was that they had also bought a company that was a pioneer of a nascent technology called ALD, uh, or Atomic Layer Deposition. Um, and they basically had a thin film of material in, in exact places as part of the chip fabrication process. And as chips get smaller and they're really, really tiny now, the, the layers had to continue to get thinner. And it got to a point that this new technology was vital to, to progress Moore's law. Um, you know, look back to that. No, you're looking at it now. It's a it's a 23 billion market cap, and it was our first sort of ten bagger. Uh, we still actually hold it in the fund, <laughs> so it kind of goes with the whole. We like to let winners run, but yeah, we've been taking a, a fair amount of profit and, and recycling that into you know hopefully names like Alchip and and and, and other. Um, innovative companies. Um, the other one, <laughs> the worst investment. I don't actually want to single out um, a, a particular company, and they're, they're still listed. But I would say that um, investing in illiquid stocks and, and the frontier markets as a group um, has been the worst investment. Um, and to this day, I mean, I don't think any of the stocks were badly or fraudulently managed or anything like that, but the unfortunately the countries that they're operating in, in were and that's been the the painful lesson to learn. I feel yes. like you, you might be talking about Russia there. <laughs> <laughs> Russia, uh, Nigeria, uh, Pakistan, Turkey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, Russia wasn't so bad because actually we made back our the cost of the investments that we have because we were we sold into um, a rally prior to that. But um, but yeah, uh, it's definitely up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't recall many great conversations we've had on, on the team about companies in Nigeria and Pakistan recently. So it's probably good to avoid those. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. well, that's um feels like a good place to draw the podcast to a close. So 
Thank you very much, Asamu, for joining. It's been great to have you on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And thanks to everyone today who took the time to listen in. If you enjoyed it, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.